Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Network. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how you doing today, man? Hey, Ed, I'm doing great. Uh, Bulls have been playing better. Um, I know they had a couple of annoying losses, though, where you thought they were back to their old uh, bad tricks when they had that that frustrating loss to like the the Wizards when when like half their Wizards roster gone, and then like <laughs> they had got blown out by the Rockets. Um, but outside of that, like the, since that Minnesota game, they're what, like 11 and uh, six? I think they have like the 13th uh, rated offense in that span, eighth rated defense. Um, like Zach, Vooch, and DeMar for the first time, it feels like in general, have like a net positive on uh, net rating together. I think they're plus five together in that span. Um, so yeah, it's it's been well for the Bulls, and yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm doing well as well. Yeah, uh, the Bulls are playing really well. Eleven and six in their last seventeen, as you mentioned, since the Minnesota game, and maybe that Washington game was a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of a flashback to to that kind of losing to a Washington team without a lot of their key players. But um, you know, they they have been uh, playing well since then. They won three when they uh, beat Brooklyn and Philly and Utah, lost three after that, won three. So I don't know if this is the start of another losing streak or not. But I, I think these games are important because you're playing you're playing teams that you have a reasonable chance to beat, right? But it's just getting in that mindset of playing the Pacers on a Tuesday night and the Hornets on a Thursday night, and then you're going to play Orlando on Friday. So it's a lot of games where it's like they're all easily games where the Bulls could slip up if they fall into their into their prior ways. But we'll we'll see how they uh, fare in these games. But yeah, we're, we got a lot of talk. We have a lot to talk about on this episode. We're going to get into how they've looked uh, recently, as you mentioned, DeRozan, Levine, and Vooch. They've all been playing together. I think this is really like the the first real stretch where they've all been playing together really well at the same time and it's really been giving the team a lift so when your best players are playing like this it, it, it's giving some sort of a response so we're gonna we're gonna get into that we're going to talk about the direction the team is going to go into as we approach the nba trade deadline in a few weeks and it, it's always been a point of conversation with the rebuild and retool and you know whatever direction people want to go in with this team but as they sit here, still a few games out of 500, I think it's it's safe to say that they're in a position 
where they need to look to improve. So we're going to get into a a few things and uh, joining us and returning to the show. He covers the NBA for Dime of Rocks. He also writes for Liberty Ballers and SB Nation. Jackson Frank. Jackson, thank you for joining us again, man. Yeah, happy to be on. I'm glad I could uh, come during a stretch where the the Bulls are are looking good and enjoyable. We can talk about uh, a lot of the uh, nice parts about, about this team. Yeah, I think I think it might be like a sign. Like the last time we had you on, the Bulls were uh, at their peak, playing. They were like first <laughs> in the East, and then uh, <laughs> now you're back on. And like, ironically, the Bulls are starting to play well again. So uh, maybe we just need to have you on like a lot more, and the Bulls can keep <laughs> this playing well. <laughs> yeah, there, there we go. Yeah, I'll do it. I guess I bring the good mojo for the uh, for the Bulls and their fans. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're glad you didn't join during like darker times. Like there, there have been some uh, <laughs> there have been some tough moments this season where it was, you know, get rid of everyone, do a hard rebuild, blow it up, and you know all of those things. But you know the Bulls have been playing better basketball. Still twenty two and twenty four on the season overall. The picture is kind of like a middling team, which I think was. Probably the I think it's fair to say that was the expectation this season that this Bulls team was probably going to be middle of the road, capable of beating anyone, capable of losing to anyone. And so far, that's proven to be true. So let's start with this based on like what you've seen so far of a team this season. um, What are the things that have stuck out to you about how this team has played? In terms of like the, the again, we talked about Levine and DeRozan and Vooch have all been really on the same page for I think the first time in a while. So they've been playing well and they've gotten some good contributions from a few of the veterans they brought in as well with Dragic and Drummond too. So like the, the team is playing better, but as a as a whole, the team is just still kind of middling. But what what are the things that have stuck out to you when you've watched this team play? Yeah, I would say I'm I'm surprised how well the defense has held up. Uh, you know, just looking at cleaning the glass stuff, they're 11th and uh, you know points for possession allowed. You know, top 10 turnover rate, pretty pretty good rebounding team. Kind of the things we expected last year, but um, you know, last year you know, when Lonzo went down, I know some of that coincided with with Caruso being out. Uh, the defense really faltered, and you know, Caruso's generally stayed healthy, but Lonzo, you know, obviously hasn't played at all. Um, so I've been surprised that they're, you know, kind of still teetering on that top 10 unit uh, side of things. So that's what's, you know, stood out to me. The the, def- the offense is, is is quite middle of the road, just, you know, with the lack of shooting. And there's not a ton of great passing talent, I think, on it, which which hamstrings them. But um, it's been, it's you know, when this roster was put together a year and a half ago, it was the idea that it's going to be a really, really, really good uh offense and I was in of course part of that was Lonzo's transition game is shooting his is passing but uh the fact that it's still been you know skewed toward a defense first team um you know despite some issues you know with guys like Damar and Levine and kind of Vooch's limitations I think has been impressive for, for sure and I think that's um what's interesting but at the same time it's not every night that they're you know, winning with the defense, right? It's it's sometimes it's a Vooch big game or it's it's a Levine big game or uh, or Demar's doing this thing. So I think that's what's most interesting is that it, it's a defense first team, but it's not a team that can only win with the defense. And that's I think just based on kind of the narratives around this team, rightfully and un- unrightfully over the past year and a half, that has been a bit surprising through forty six games. Yeah, I think uh, the defensive end is definitely agree with you. It's been surprising, especially when you consider their their big three, if you will, 
uh, well, not if you will, they are their big three, though. Vooch, uh, DeMar, and Zach are not, like you mentioned, not defensive-oriented uh, players. Um, what have you been your thoughts on those three? Like I mentioned, you know, in this 17-game span, there seems like they finally learned to really play with each other, play off each other, I should say. And they're trying, they're starting, like I said, to be a, a net positive. And on a nightly basis, they are leading the team in scoring, um, because obviously that's their strength. Uh, what what is your uh, thoughts been on them and how they've has this season gone on, uh, shown to you at least? Yeah, I think you know what's a key part of you know them kind of riding the ship over the last month or so uh, is I think Levine looks a lot more like the guy that we saw for a year and a half, right? The first year in the All-Star game. And then before the knee injuries really started to plague him last season, um, he just looks more explosive. I think that's allowing him to play on the ball a little more and just merges on off ball talents better. Um, I think he's shown some good chemistry and rapport with Vucevic. Uh, Vucevic is having a really, really nice year offensively. Um, shooting almost 60% from two point range. I think his career high before this was like 54%. Um, been really useful, especially punishing smaller teams inside. Uh, you think back to, you know, a couple of their wins against the Bulls, you know, their win against the Warriors. Um, it, it's kind of been on, on the back of, of Vooch doing this stuff inside and, you know, spacing the floor as well. So um, I think that's, that's really what stands out to with DeMar. It's just, like, it's just kind of DeMar being DeMar again, you know, the clutch shots, the mid-range jumpers, the foul drawing, things like that. But uh, I think kind of the reason that they have been able to you know, weather some of the injuries, not to say it doesn't discredit Demar, but it's 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 Vooch having a bounce back season offensively, and Levine over the past you know month, month and a half, starting to find his footing again, and and looked like that really potent scorer that you know became a star you know back starting with 2021. Yeah, I think, and Vooch in particular, he's arguably having his second-best season, at least, like, in efficiency-wise, too. He has, I think, actually, his best efficiency-wise season. Like, his true shooting percentage is over 60%. Um, and a lot of the stuff that he's doing, a lot of times with him getting involved more on, on the offensive end just because he is their best playmaker. Uh, like you mentioned, they know they don't have a lot of uh, good passing, but him being one of their only really good uh, instinctual passers, uh, getting him more touches overall. And I know the conversation kind of becomes a sticker for him is to talk about his post touches uh, and people kind of get uh, kind of wrapped up in that old uh, thought process. Well, it's, it's not, it's not a modern game to get a lot of post play out of, out of in today's game and trying to force post-ups but in general, it's just about getting him touches overall. And from there, he's able to play make. What have you been not your thoughts on Vooch in general, in particular, as far as getting those touches and in particular, maybe even in the post or high post uh, and facilitating from that area? Yeah, I guess I think Vooch is having a really nice year. Um, I, I, I do think he's struggled, you know, more defensively than even I saw last year, but I think it's more than been overshadowed by the, you know, the offensive development. And I think I don't feel as though his post touches are like oversaturated. It feels like there's a healthy balance that when Chicago sees a mismatch for him inside, 
it prioritizes feeding the ball. It doesn't it? Doesn't it's not an Embiid or a Jokic thing, right? Where he's going to get the ball in the block a lot, regardless who's defending him. It's okay. Do we have? Do we get a mismatch after a two man game, or do they just have a smaller guy inside that he can exploit? Okay, now let's look to get him the ball. It's not okay, regardless of the play and the circumstances. We're going to have the first touch be Vooch. I think that's what's helping him and and the offense um, just kind of stay stay afloat. Um, in those, it just in general, right? And like I said, they're middling offense, but you know, one one other thing that I I think has really contributed to to this to this good play that the Bulls have been on has been, and and Salim has talked about it in like some of our past shows. Is Kobe White has looked like really solid coming off the bench like he's like he's been consistently playing well he's shooting the ball well I think his team defense overall has been pretty competent and I I I think he's starting to show flashes more or more like consistent flashes of that player that we saw like I think it was kind of between like maybe like late November and like January ish of last season where he was like just shooting the ball well really solid team defense and he even had like a few of those games in the playoffs as well so like we we came into the season thinking that Kobe White like it, it was pretty much over for him as far as being a rotational player for this team and obviously some injuries have been able to keep him in, involved in the rotation but he he's done his part like he's he's held up his end of the deal and he looks like a really solid player w- what do you think about how Kobe White has looked this season and do you think that this is like do you, do you think there's even like more room for him to grow even like further than that yeah, that's that, that's uh, encouraging to hear because I feel like when I've caught Bulls games this year and Kobe's been in the rotation, he's been healthy, he's looked pretty good to me. And this isn't for me to like say that I just base things off metrics, but then I go look at some of the metrics and they're not kind to Kobe. So I'm wondering, you know, like am I I'm wondering am I just catch him on the right days and maybe Bulls fans and analysts aren't you know particularly enthused by him, but um, for, for you to heap praise on him is is nice to you know aligns with my sample, which obviously is much more limited than yours. But I think what Kobe's done well that this year then they go hand in hand is he's become a better decision maker with the ball in his hands and that's helped him inside the arc as well just in just kind of the way he handles things inside the arc you know he's shooting 55 percent on twos and that's that's a career high he hasn't been as good from deep this year as he was the last couple of years but um anybody else has you know is a, a larger volume in the sense that you know is a higher how much higher three-point rate than he had in prior years so um i think he's looked solid he's had you know he's had some like you mentioned some really useful plays on the ball defensively um he's not particularly stout guy but he is six five um you know he does have some kind of jitteriness about him uh laterally in, in short area space so uh yeah i think he's looked like a fine rotation guard i i i think he still is prone to like try what's is like he's trying to either see the game in a unique lens and that that makes him do some stuff that you uh, you scratch your head at or he can still get sped up at times when he thinks okay i'm this is how the defense is going to respond and this is what i'm going to do when the defense doesn't respond that way he looks kind of out of sorts so i think that just kind of continuing to be uh like what's what's the phrase that he continuing to be adaptable you know, when he's working inside the arc rather than a little bit pre-planned, which I think he's gotten better at, but there are still instances where you you, you want more from him. But yeah, I think Kobe's had a, a pretty dang solid fourth year. Uh, and he's, you know, just kind of, he had some nice stretches last year as well. And so 
I think overall you have to be fairly encouraged about kind of his prospects long-term, not necessarily in the sense of, okay, this guy's going to, you know, be, be a star, even maybe necessarily a starter, but a guy who can definitely help you on, on solid teams and you know, gives you some floor space and gives you some close at attacking um, has issues defensively, but I think still, like I said, still does have some uh, good awareness and, you know, and capabilities on the ball and, you know, and doing some low man help playing the passing lane at times as too. So, yeah, I think by and large, we had a really solid year and I am curious, you know, to see how he progresses from here and, and keeps going because, you know, it's, you know, he's only 22, I think, or maybe, maybe he's turned 23. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I, I think he's definitely in a good spot and, you know, I, again, I don't want to, you know, make any declarations about, you know, who he'll be long-term, but I, I certainly feel much better about him having put together some pretty good stretches of play the last couple of years um, than maybe, you know, we felt after year two. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. A couple of things with, with the with the metrics, uh, and I'm with you, like because I've watched Kobe all year, and he started off rough um, a little bit, and he's I would say the last month to six five five six weeks, he's picked it up, and I think the reason the metrics don't really uh, pick show improvement is because the usage is not high enough. So it's I think that probably factors into it. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, he's, I, I think people kind of still get stuck up in the fact that he's the seventh overall pick. Mm-hmm. So the expectations versus, um, for when you generally expect the seventh overall pick, you, you, you think, okay, I'm, we're, we're drafting a starter at least like the starting caliber player generally in that area. But um, in the end, like, you know, you kind of have to let go of those expectations to start analyzing the player for what he is and and he has he has improved and he's showing that look he can be this guy that can contribute uh, uh, and help you win games and like with the shooting like I said the most improving like you mentioned too is defense I've been kind of impressed with how much better he's gotten on screen navigations um, like that was probably like the worst and not to say he's good and not on uh, as, as a point of attack defender by any means but I just I've seen the improvement where he doesn't get hung up on screens quite as often that he, he used to, um, and I feel like that's been a really nice surprise um, on on that end. Um, the other young player on this team that kind of gets scrutinized a lot, um, and that one being Patrick Williams. I think you know the the Patrick Williams discourse is gotten really uh, chaotic. Uh, amongst Bulls fans where, you know, there's a lot of people that are already out on him. Um, I know there's mutual friends of ours uh, that you that you can uh, talk to often, I believe, uh, Chris Amundsen and Lero Golden. Um, shout out to those guys. But, you know, they're, they're a lot – they're on more my side of thinking where we're seeing good development from Patrick and as the season going on, and there's more nuance involved in how you analyze – a guy like Patrick William, who was a lot more raw coming into this league, um, and especially trying to, with the times he, with the time he's missed due to injury, and trying to incorporate him with chemistry and all that is concerned playing with Zach, Demar, and Vooch. Um, I feel like I'm pretty happy with where Pat is at personally. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on the stuff you've seen from Patrick Williams. Um, and like where you see his see how the season's going and what your expectations 
should still be for him in the future. Yeah, I, I really liked what I've seen from Pat Will this year. Uh, I, I, it's hard to overstate kind of how difficult a situation he's been put in. Um, you know, he was drafted as a fourth overall pick on a team that wasn't particularly good, even his rookie year. Um, and then, you know, they, they immediately shift the timeline and he has a different role. And then he has an injury. And when he comes back, the team are, still looks different because now Lonzo's out. Now in his third year, Lonzo's still out. And then also on top of it, like, you know, the team's kind of, OG franchise cornerstone Zach Levine is in a different space because of his own knee injury. So um, it's like any player need generally needs stability and uh, of context. I don't think Pat's really had that for a long stretch, you know, both, you know, he, just with, like I said, just all the different kind of players he's had around him and the circumstances. And so um, that's been tough. Um, but yeah, I, I think he, you've, he looks, I've been really impressed with him defensively. Uh, I think he's getting even better and aggressive as as a helper, I think his defense, his defense in space on the ball continues to improve. You know that was that was a clear sign of weakness for him at Florida State coming into the draft. And I think, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's really really good moving in space, but I think he's much better than he was. You know, two plus years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, so, so that's encouraging. He's he still continues to take he, like he's taking a lot more threes this year than he did in prior years, and he's still hitting them in a you know, forty percent clip. Uh, you know, there, there are the sequences where he, he can be frustrating and, and maybe he's too hesitant or, or things like that, but, um, they, they are put under a microscope because of the win now situation that Chicago has thrust this team in, you know, the front office has thrust the team into, and you know, that, that's a really tough spot to be for any young player, let alone one like Pat, who clearly had an intriguing bundle of skills, you know, as a prospect, but, you know, had to kind of refine a lot of them. And, and that takes exploring, you know, what you can and can do. And it doesn't always look pretty when, you, you know, like I said, when you're on a team who is, you know, has Alex Russo and Nicole Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. So um, I, I get that, but I've liked kind of some of the versatile usage we've seen from him at times, you know, as a role man, I think he's finishing more aggressively when he gets those chances. Um, you're seeing him kind of test things out as a ball handler and transition, getting into that, that pull-up jumper he likes from usually the right elbow. Um, he's a little more aggressive there, getting to the rim too you know, in those situations. So, um, yeah, I think if you stripped away the the context of Chicago being win now, and it was just a guy that you know was on a you know a fourteen thirteen win team, the progress would look really really nice, and people would be pretty encouraged by it. Um, but because some of those mistakes and those trial and error decisions from him, you know happen on a team that's trying to win immediately with, you know, with a roster that's got some injury prone guys in their prime and injury prone, just guys dealing with injuries in their prime uh, that, that kind of magnifies those mistakes as being frustrating. And I get it, but uh, it's a reminder that, you know, that, that Pat is super young. He hasn't necessarily even played that much NBA basketball still. Um, and it's done it in, in a variety of contexts. So yeah, I, I would be encouraged long-term by Pat, even if it's not necessarily like, oh, like he's, you know, in two months, he's going to be a guy that's, you know, just giving you the most, he's like, he's like, he's not necessarily going to be the guy that is turning games, you know, key games, whether it's a play in playoff game, playoff series, but a guy that in a couple of years from now, whichever direction Chicago takes, assuming he's still in town is, is going to be really good. And so I've, you know, every Bulls game I've caught this year, you know, for the most part, I, I've liked, what Pat Will's done. At least there's stretches where you can see the vision and there, there are certainly stretches where he goes quiet and makes a mistake on defense. And it's like, ah, oh, well, that's, that's, that's frustrating. Like, I don't know, like, is that just a flash in the pan from earlier? But yeah, I've, I've liked a lot of what Pat's done this year. And I think he's progressing nicely given, 
kind of his developmental context and how you know arduous it's been. Yeah, would you would you agree that his baseline as far as his floor is probably a good defender and a good spot up shooter? That's probably his baseline. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I am curious to kind of see what level of he gets that in terms of like how he bends a defense as a shooter. But yeah, I think he's a good he's a good defender. He's definitely made encouraging surprises as a shooter. Like you know, like I said, his his three point rate to the career high. He's taken a few more shots per game this year. But like you look at you know, at least compared to last year. But you look at his rookie year, took seven point four shots per game, only one point nine threes. You know, that's roughly twenty five percent of your shots are threes. This year, eight point two shots uh, per game, three and a half of them are threes. So you're looking at closer to forty percent of your shots being threes, and he's shooting forty two percent this year versus thirty nine as a rookie. So um, it's it's hard to increase volume and maintain or increase efficiency as well, kind of in any sort of shot you take um, for the most part. Assuming you know they're coming in the same way, unassisted versus assisted, but. Um, you know, in terms of play types as well. But yeah, I, I think that's, that's a good baseline. And now for Pat, it's just a matter of like, can we get that offense to be consistent? Can we scale you up in two years to be a guy who's taking 12 shots and five threes a game versus the eight and three now? Can you be a guy that is, you know, a really, really good low man who can occasionally be really good on the ball as well? Can you play the nail? Like, so it's, you know, because obviously, you know, defense is a fluid thing, right? It's not just, you know, it's not just one certain you're a good defender means you're a good defender in every context and every role. So for me with Pat, it's just a matter of like, can we, these stretches that you have, whether it's game to game or possession by possession, look really encouraging. Can we have those kind of be what you do every single possession when you're out there? And that, and that's what I'm still looking more for from Pat, but I, but I really have liked what I've seen this year. And there are, it's hard not to be encouraged from a developmental perspective. I think just with some of these stretches that he has that are like kind of subtly dominant, right? Not like he's not dicing up the defense as a passer or shutting down the superstar scoring of the team, but there are just, there are long stretches that happen in, in certain games with Pat where he's impacting every possession pretty significantly. And that's, that's an impressive place to play as a 21 year old with only, you know, 130 games under his belt. Yeah. I think, you know, another thing I, I always you know, like to the nuance of, of analyzing a player's development. Like, I think a lot of people get stuck on like the box score numbers. And if, uh, you know, the numbers are showing that's part, that's the development. But like, I think like, especially when you talk about defense, uh, part of development, I think is learning how to defend on the NBA level because the offenses are so advanced nowadays, especially with a lot, with a lot of the movement and, and the play sets that are happening. Um, it's not just about like effort on defense anymore. It's also about knowing when to help out, uh, what rotations to make. And that's part of development for me as well. And I feel like I've seen that from Pat this season. Mm -hmm. uh, like sometimes those things don't show up in the box score. Uh, like when he's, when he's knows when to help out like on the nail or when he spots the Spain pick and roll happening and kind of knows where to move, move with, and defend the be right in this right spot to defend. I think that part kind of can get un, unnoticed as well, and I feel like that's part of a player's development too. Mm -hmm. I think he's he's much more sure of himself defensively, and that can can sound cliche, but especially off the ball when he commits to a decision, he is committed to it. Right where I feel like there's been times to detriment the first you know two years where he would maybe see a rotation but he wouldn't know if it was the right thing, even if he thought it was. And now it's like, he's playing, he's playing the weak side corner. He sees that it's his tag. He's 
he's aggressively there and he's there in 1.3 seconds rather than 1.7 in in basketball that that can be the, the difference between preventing a pass or breaking up a lob or stealing you know stealing a pocket pass and, and not or alternating shots so uh that that's one that stands out to me this year is just in general and especially on defenses where which is kind of where you know pat is going to to hang his hat initially or at least primarily it's just just a lot more self-assurance and kind of knowing what he's supposed to do and and yeah, I agree about the effort. Like you can, let's say you're guarding a really good, you know, a, a really good driver, but who's a tenuous shooter. You can fight over a screen really well, but if that gets them downhill, that wasn't necessarily the right thing to do, right? You have to understand, you know, the, what you know what each specific context requires. And I think Pat is getting better at that, and and that is something that maybe isn't quantifiable, especially because like defense is not a one man act. You can make a great rotation or make a good stunt or navigate a screen well, but if one or two other guys break something down, like maybe it doesn't reflect in the, the team's defensive rating when you're on the floor or, you know, the team's, you know, rim frequency when you're on the floor, things like that. So I, I think, you know, and obviously again, like this, the Bulls are a pretty solid defensive team, but yeah, I think that's important that just Pat looks good. And I think he's getting more aggressive offensive too. Like I said, you know, he seems to be hunting a shot a little bit more and getting a little more freedom. Um, so I, I like a lot of what I've seen from Pat, even if, you know there are still stretches where you you want more, but then you have to take a step back and realize he's in a he's in a context that honestly isn't 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 the best for uh, development at his age, or maybe not that, but like you know what I mean. It's not the it can lead to some you know just uh, frustrations and and whatnot. No, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's not ideal for a younger raw player to uh, play it with such high usage players because like for like. If you're a role player that already knows his place in this league and what their what your bread and butter is, it's easier to play off of guys like that. But when you're a young player developing, still learning his own game, learning the the game overall itself, that that can become uh, a problem, you know, in a sense. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's that's a difficult. Like finding your role, like especially for you know secondary guys, even for stars and whatnot, is a really challenging thing. It's even it's even hard, like and that's something that every prospect has to find out. That's something that's a little easier for someone like let's say a Corey Kisper, right? Who you know played four years at Gonzaga, was a really good shooter, really good cutter, like and has those four. He knows kind of his job. Whereas Pat Will plays one truncated season at Florida state, you know, he comes out, he's one of the youngest players in the draft. I think he might've been the youngest collegiate player that year because I think like, yeah, I think American, I think I said it was American born player or something like that. He was well, yeah. Player. Well, cause I think, I think maybe like, cause Lamelo might've been a little younger, but obviously he played in Australia. Um, but point being like, that's, that's a whole different ball game, right? Like it's going to take Kispert versus Pat will like a much different kind of acclimation period to figure out their ideal role. So yeah, I, I think Pat's in a good spot, and you know, I think I hope for for the sake of like you two and other other Bulls fans that it gets to happen in Chicago. But I think regardless, like Pat is on a good developmental path, just kind of the way he's handling things, and um, he's one of my favorite. He's like the last you know few Bulls games I've caught. He's been one of my my favorite uh, parts of watching those games because I, he just looks you know a much more impactful player than he did even in even in October, and, and that's a, a really encouraging place to be. You know, half half a year into your your third season, which is you know basically, I think your second season, you can kind of call it for Pat, given the number of games he's played. Yeah, it better happen in Chicago, Jackson, because I'm telling you, if I see another Wendell Carter, a Larry Marketing situation happen, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's part of why I'm saying for for, uh, for Bulls fans' sake. So, but yeah, I think Pat is developing into the sort of player that fits really well around this core, especially if he continue to sustain um, his increased volume from three and effectiveness. You know, I don't know if he has to necessarily be a 42% guy for his entire career, but if he could be a guy who, you know, is is taking, you know, five or six a game and shooting 38, 39%, um, and probably closer to 39. Like, I think that's a really nice spot to be. Um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, as I've said multiple times now during this little segment, I, I like, I really like what, what Pat Will is doing. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think it raises like a really good question now in terms of direction, because I think one of the interesting things last year is that the Bulls were playing really well, but some of the young players were not. So like, it was easier to throw guys names out there. Like, yeah, like I don't have a problem seeing Patrick Williams traded or yeah, we can trade Kobe White too. But now the team isn't, you know, they're more middle of the road and Patrick Williams and Kobe White are playing really well. So I, I think there's a little bit more hesitance. And I would argue in Patrick Williams case, that there's really no way you could trade him right now unless you were getting like a really significant return on something. But it, it still points you into a question of what this team can do in the next couple of weeks to improve as a basketball team as they sit kind of clumped in with all of these like teams like Miami and New York and like, you know, Indiana, like just all these teams clumped up and trying to either, you know, get into that, that six or really try and like increase their uh, spot in the play. And so we know this team isn't going to rebuild, but what do you, what do you think realistically they can do approaching the trade deadline to improve like can they add a shooter can they add maybe another wing that can give them a little bit more depth like what what are things that they can do realistically to improve as a team yeah i I think i think some sort of wing shooting would be nice i think that's just really important um you know i i do i i I mentioned kind of earlier I, i it would be interesting to see if they could find uh kind of a sort of connective passer. I know that's kind of the role Lonzo played. It's, it's the role that Fuchs plays in, in a, in a, in a big man's body. Um, you know, Vooch obviously plays a little more on the ball in the sense that he can collapse defenses in the post and, and create from there and do a little bit off the dribble. But I think those would be kind of my two biggest priorities. I, I don't know like how, how attainable like getting a lot better defensively is because with their, kind of missing to me is is the is any sort of rim protection and uh and like you're not you're not gonna find a center better than Vooch. <laughs> uh, kind of you know like I think Vooch is having a really nice year. You just have to accept his limitations. And that secondary kind of that roaming for rim protector, I think is the role that you could see Patrick Williams playing down the line. So um again I don't think he quite he doesn't fulfill that right now which is fine because he's 21 years old he's played a season and a half in may basketball but that that's kind of where i struggle to see them really you know taking a big leap defensively with any with any of the moves i might prioritize so that's why i would go for kind of can you upgrade the passing talent for the rotation can you find any sort of shooter who's i guess maybe like a little bit viable defensively because you know the kind of the two two guys that play a lot of the bench that are wing size, you know, maybe I'm forgetting a guy, but you know, that'd be, you know, Javante Green and Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. Excuse me. They're not commanding respect from deep, but they're also, you know, they have some utility defensively to varying degrees. And so um, that's where I wonder, like, can you just get a little more space around these guys that doesn't necessarily add another really, you know, 
uh, really what's a defender kind of really puts further strain on on guys like Caruso and, and Pat and, and Io. Are, are there any players that kind of like jump out to you that you would immediately think of that fit that bill? Yeah, I think, you know, he's not necessarily an on-ball guy, but it, a guy like Robert Covington, I think, is still really, really impressive, his instincts and in playmaking off the ball. Um, he's generally been out of the Clippers rotation, I believe, this year. Um, so I wonder, like, I wonder if there's anything interesting there. It's tough because the Clippers have some guys that make sense to some other, you know, fellow playoff contenders, but because they're in their own kind of immediate win-now window, it's tough, but... I think he makes some sense. I I think someone like Doug McDermott maybe doesn't necessarily fit the mold of defensively tenable, but is obviously quite a high-level shooter with wing size. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's enough creativity in the Bulls' offensive scheme to fully maximize his – you know, movement shooting and shooting versatility, just, you know, to, to make use of the trade-off and defensive trade-off that you'd have if you're to play him over, you know, guys like Devonte or, or Derek Jones. So um, those are a couple that come to mind, but yeah, I have to think about it a little deeper, but there, there's certainly, there's certainly guys that make sense. Um, you know, I, so those are two, those are two that kind of just immediately, um, you know, pop off, pop off the board in my head, but yeah, I don't know exactly. Just especially because it's tough because it seems like there's a lot of teams that are still in contention for at least a plan spot and want to continue to be to act as such. So uh, it maybe dampens the market or skews it more towards a buyer's market, which is the perspective we're discussing this from for the Bulls. So just a couple of names to keep in mind, but just general kind of the general archetypes of wing shooting that you know can hold up a bit defensively and that connective passing, that role that Vooch and Lonzo played uh, well, and especially kind of when that offense was clicking two things that they they had going a lot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting just because, like, the, the the obstacle for the Bulls is if, depending on what you trade, um, it doesn't make sense because, like, right now, I think the easier contract to move is that Kobe White just because he's going into unrestricted free agency. Um, it'll be, like, a tough pill to swallow to move a player like Caruso um, because, obviously, how important he is to the defense. But... Yeah, I think that's the biggest obstacle right now because the Bulls just don't have a lot of, like, contracts that you want to easily kind of give up. I mean, like, you have DJJ, but he's only making, like, $3 million. Um, Obviously, Drummond, who's making, like, $3 million. So, like, you guys almost have to combine a lot of different small contracts, and then at that point, it might still might not be enough to match some of the players that, like, Covington and, and McDermott, who make, like, 12 to $13 million in a year a year. Um, I guess, like, what would you think? Let Let's say, uh, if the Bulls traded Kobe and um, like DJJ uh, to, I don't know, the Clippers would take it, but to let's say to the Clippers to Covington, would you think that'd be a good trade for the Bulls? That you're giving up shooting and with, with what Kobe brings with shooting, and I think like DJJ has been a good backup small ball five as like a rim running small ball, small ball fighter, do you think that would be good for the Bulls? Or do you think that's something like you got to kind of weigh the cons as well that might overweigh the positives? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that necessarily kind of moves them in any significant direction um, because, you know, like Covington isn't a, isn't like a great shooter, but he is someone who because of his volume and quick release tends to, you know, at least garner closeouts, but you're not just replacing Covington with not replacing Kobe shooting with Covington shooting because they play completely different positions and your guard 
you know, guard depth beyond Levine is pretty devoid of floor spacing. So that would be tough to me. But if you could supplement that with like the acquisition of a guy like Alec Burks, you know, from the Pistons, who I, you know, I'd imagine is available, you know, a guy who shot uh, like 40% from three the last three or four years. Yeah. Um, Pretty good defense. Like he's not a bad defender either. Yeah, I feel like I, I might be a little lower on his defense, but just like, but the, if it, you know what I mean? Though? Like, if you could, if you could, those could be two kind of corresponding moves, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, like, yes, it'd be a bit of a bummer to lose that small ball option with Derek Jones Jr., who gives you some rim pressure. Um, but you still have that guard shooting and you can handle the ball a little bit as well. Uh, and then you would also get, you know, that, that guy in coverage, you know, you're just going to play into the defensive scheme of we're going to be aggressive and help. We're going to force turnovers. We're going to play the nail a lot, trying to roam as much as we can between the nail and, and kind of playing the wing back to shooters. So, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'd be looking at, right? Like, if we're going to move Kobe, which I think is, like, a bit easy, untouchable, you still want to, like, can we get at least something to to supplement the shooting from him? Even if we have to just delegate more ball and the responsibility to a Levine, maybe an Io, DeRozan obviously handled the ball a lot already, but, like, if we have ways to kind of supplement that, that would be something I'm interested in because I, I just do think that shooting is a pretty, you know, glaring shortcoming of this, this roster, especially in the backcourt beyond Levine and Kobe. So if you're moving Kobe, can you find a way to at least replicate some of what he brings as a floor spacer and mitigate some of what he, some of his shortcomings, you know, with, you know, just with sometimes the decision-making and, and whatnot. But yeah, so I don't know if I love that. Move, I think it's a fine move in a vacuum, but you know, as we mentioned, like it's just, it's you know, these moves don't exist in a vacuum. But I don't think it's untenable to find some way to replace Kobe shooting from the guard position for 15, 16 minutes a night if that's what you're looking for. What do you, what do you think about someone like a Jalen McDaniel's of the Hornets? I, I mean, there's been like rumors that he's available. I, I'm not sure what the price is, but like he, he seems to fit like most of the things that the Bulls could really use. Uh, and someone that they could really add to the scene to make them better. But I mean, what do you think? What do you think about that? Yeah. So he's, he's a guy who you know, typically, you know, when I watch Hornets games, doesn't get guarded as a shooter. Um, you know, he's shooting below league average from three, but you know, on in the last couple of years, right around league average, but not a guy that I think defenses tend to respect. So just kind of for the two of you take, you know, keeping that in mind, like, are you, are you, are you ready for another rangy wing who, who doesn't get guard on the weak side? Um, but he definitely has some on-ball chops defensively. I don't think, you know, his, his body control and lateral quickness are anywhere close as his younger brother, Jaden, which, you know, obviously Jaden is one of the premier perimeter defenders these days, but just kind of, I think there are some similarities, but that's where I think Jalen falls short. Um, I think his instincts aren't as good. I think he's he's worth kind of a, a flyer from, you know, from an on-court sense. Um but but I just don't know with with the Bulls, it makes sense because of kind of his lack of shooting gravity and the fact that ideally I think Pat will could kind of fill a lot of those needs long-term because I don't think Jalen's of any means like some established player. I think he's very much kind of still in that Pat will realm of figuring out who he is and, and how he makes it happen on a possession by possession basis. So I, I don't love that for the bulls just, you know, like just because of the two things I mentioned there that he's still, you know, still a pretty big, you know, development guy and doesn't garner respect as a shooter um, despite kind of increasing his volume this year, you know, in, in spite of, you know, less deficiency from last year. So I, I get the appeal for some teams, but I don't think it makes sense for Chicago. I don't, I just don't think that he's an upgrade, you know, immediately over guys like Javante or Derek Jones, you know, I don't think he's worth 
I don't think he has more promise in a similar role than, than Pat Will does. Okay, so Jackson, looking at the East, that bottom seven, six to even ten uh, in the East, and looking at the playoff race, the Bulls currently are stacked to have the fifth easiest remaining schedule after like starting off with like one of the most brutal schedules um, in, in the league. Uh, and seeing that none of the teams ahead of them are really like put a stranglehold on any sort of um, winning streak or whatever have you. And I think the Bulls might be probably are playing the best ball of any of those teams in this last month span. Uh, what, what would you do? You, how confident do you feel that of them making the playoffs at this point, uh, or maybe even kind of sneaking into that sixth seed to avoid the play-in? Yeah, I think for like for me, I'm not, I'm not. I don't like. I don't think I'd have them among my my top eight. I think like, I like the the top seven as currently is. I think those tended to me are the top seven. The Hawks continue to be really tough to figure out. The Pacers, it feels like, are you know they lost seven in a row. You have know, kind of been in a tailspin without Halliburton around. Um, and I could see that, you know, I could see them with this tailspin, you know, moving off some of their their veterans that, you know, have helped them thus far. Um, but so I said to me, like, like to me, I see that eight spot as a race between Atlanta and Chicago right now. Um, and I, it's really tough for me to say one way or the other. I think they're very much of similar quality. Um, you know, clearly kind of they've got some star power, but they're clearly very flawed teams. Um so I, I I don't feel great about I, I definitely wouldn't pick the Bulls to vault into the top six. I know that he'd have them great, but that defense is really good. Bam's still really good. Jimmy Butler is excellent. Um, I like what the Knicks have done too. I know the Knicks are in a losing streak, but I just I, I think they've you know generally been playing pretty good basketball this year. Um, so I, I can't pick between the Hawks and the Bulls. I probably lean the Hawks just because I think. Like I just, I just think they've got a little more to them. And I would, I don't, maybe I'm off, but like I think they've had a little bit more of the injury bug, um, you know, excluding Lonzo, of course. Um, but Capella's missed a good amount of time. Collins has missed some time and is dealing with you know some injuries. So I will lean Atlanta, but I'm not at all like I could easily be swayed on that. It's by no means a hardline stand. I think they're a very similar quality, and you know, it's just it's. Maybe just partly a matter of Atlanta having you know, a one-game lead. That could be that could be the decision. I know it's there's still thirty-four to go for both or for for Atlanta and thirty-six for the Bulls. But yeah, I would lean Atlanta just barely. But I definitely see them like in in the same exact you know stratosphere. Yeah, Hawks and Bulls have every Hawks and Bulls game has been pretty much <laughs> like down to the uh, wire a fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. except like <laughs> there's two night, games yeah. that came down to. Uh, I think uh, last possession. So, um, yeah. So let me ask you this. If if the Bulls, let's say the Bulls either miss the playoffs flat out or they just get bounced in the uh, play in. uh, They're in some, they're in a a very interesting position, obviously, because they have a lot of, you know, vets in their prime who are still really good players. DeMar is still playing at an all-star level. Vooch is, Playing it to me, I think Vooch is playing at an all star level this season offensively. So, like, they, they have a, a good core of players, but if it's, you're getting that type of result, then it, it makes you wonder if you really want to continue. So, with Vooch 
uh, hitting free agency this offseason. DeMar entering the last year of his deal. Um, you know, you don't know what the future holds for really Lonzo Ball, but you're assuming maybe he plays next season. But you have a bunch of good vets. What direction would you really take the franchise in? Like at that point, would you really look at doing maybe a hard rebuild or would you really look at doing a retool where you're trying to build more so around like a Zach Levine? And we talked about Patrick Williams earlier and how, you know, he might look if he got a little bit more value and like, and then you're trying to play a little bit more, a, a few more of the young guys like, you know, Dalen Terry hasn't, you know, gotten some burn this season, but w- w- what direction does this team head into if they're not, you know, in a playoff spot? Or I guess even then you could argue if they do make the playoffs that you still really have the same questions overall. Gosh, you two are asking some good questions these last couple. <laughs> tough spot. Kudos to the two of you. Um, yeah, that's that's a really tricky place to be if that's the reality. And I think whether it ends just short of the play-in, losing the play-in, or making the playoff, I think it's all going to be a pretty quick exit for the Bulls. Um, and I, I just – I think this team can be pretty dang good with, with Lonzo in the fold, you know, it's like, but Lonzo in the fold is very much not something I, I want to bank on as much as I, I would love to say otherwise. It just, you know, just the reality of things just based on what, you know, his injury and, and kind of the timeline and the comments surrounding it. Uh, of course, you know, I hope he, he gets back to playing basketball pain-free and all that as quickly as possible. But, um, and so to me, I think it's, I think it's worth at least, like I would, I would consider doing a, a retool. I, I would try at least maybe like one year with with Levine as your guy and letting you know Patrick Williams take on some more ball handling ball handling reps. See what Io can do as a a second side creator even more than we've seen this year. You know what does Dalen have to offer? Um, you know, look to move. You know, a guy like Demar um, for maybe some other p- players or picks. That that could be you know worthwhile there. Um, that that's kind of the direction I would go. But much like my stance on the Hawks thing, I could be easily persuaded otherwise. But like just the way that Levine has been playing as of late, and, and the way he, fairly the way he developed his first, what was it kind of through the twenty twenty one season, um, it, I'd be at least worth it'd be at least worth seeing what that looks like. And the fact that he seems to be on an upward trajectory with his his knee injuries. He seems to be regaining some of that vertical explosiveness, getting downhill better um, than he was, you know, say to end last year or to start this year. So that's that's where I would go. But again, it does kind of depend on on what Levine looks like. If he's a if he's a guy that like we at least want to see, can he make that leap into top fifteen, top twenty type of player, or is it just going to kind of be who he is with the the shaky defense, some of the decision making, some of the issues, some of the ways he sees the floor at times as a passer. Um, and where the injury's at. So that's that's where I would go. But, um, you know, it's it's very much a fluid situation and not not one that I would want to actually be <laughs> leading uh, the charge on determining, you know, which route is best. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a little bit of a difficult situation and we're kind of already seeing some, like, flashes of it as we approach the trade deadline because, I mean, obviously they're not going to rebuild right now, but you could also make an argument in some ways that they could be both buyers and sellers to a degree, like at this trade deadline, depending on what scenario is presented. So like, I don't expect like Zach or DeMar to get moved, but you know, it's still an interesting situation with Vooch in the last year of his deal. And he's playing really well. Like, 
I don't know if a situation would arise where a team would offer you something for him with the way he's playing. And maybe it's a deal that fits might even fit your roster better, or maybe even improve the defense. I'm not sure, but uh, it, it'll be interesting to see like how this team eventually moves long term going forward, given what they've shown this season. Uh, Jackson, this is it's been really great talking to you on this episode. We we appreciate your knowledge of the game and dropping by to drop some gems on on us with this Bulls team. Can you let our listeners know what you're working on right now and where they can follow you if they're not already doing so? Yeah, so I'll have a piece uh, coming out on, on the Raptors' defensive struggles uh, tomorrow on SB Nation. I'm sure Bulls fans will enjoy that one because that is a team that is, you know, generally still in the play and contention. Yeah. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF. Uh, you can find my Sixers coverage at Liberty Ballers, my general NBA coverage at SB Nation, Dime Up Rocks, and The Analyst. Um, yeah, I appreciate it too having me on. Um, you know, I think this Bulls team is in a really interesting spot, and there's there's definitely been a lot of pessimism around this team, but there's <laughs> clearly some reasons for optimism, and I feel like I tried to summarize them pretty well, especially with Patrick Williams. So yeah, I appreciate the two having me on, me on, and and hopefully uh, for for your sake, I'll be I'll be coming on again soon because that would mean the Bulls are are playing well given you know, the the, team, the times that I seem to make an appearance on here. That's right. We'll, we'll have you on if they make the playoffs, and maybe that'll make. Uh, <laughs> Make them win a, a playoff series, they'll, maybe. They'll beat, <laughs> they'll beat Boston or whoever. The number one yeah, they, they beat the good teams. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's total one eighty from last year. They uh, they can beat them this year, which is uh, which is funny. They just gotta they gotta figure out how to beat some of those uh, those lesser opponents, and maybe maybe uh, maybe I would have more faith in their uh, ability to to crack a. The top six, but but yeah, yeah. I appreciate having you on, and uh, you know, hopefully the Bulls continue to uh, keep the good vibes going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely one of those seasons where uh, I know in the past we've uh, we've joked about players being bum slayers and things like that, but I would absolutely love if this team was full of bum slayers right now. Uh, so, Liam, any final thoughts before we wrap up, man? Yeah, um, thanks again to Jackson, one uh, one of the best NBA followers and he's always nuanced in his approach of analyzing the game so uh i always appreciate him having him on um and yeah let's see what the bulls can do i mean i mean i i'm i tend to be like in the same thought process as jackson that i don't know if they will make the playoffs but then you know they kind of pull me back in when they start winning some of these games it's like oh no maybe they will you know i just get back and forth you know it they just have the tendency to do that. Surprisingly, like I was expecting them to have a dud tonight against the Pacers, but they're up 18 right now. So um, we'll knock, knock on some wood wherever you are. Get your uh, I know, right? Just you know, touch wood, uh, knock on wood, you know, like um, surprisingly they're, they're doing well. I mean, obviously that's, this is the type of team that Bulls have struggled. Like a team that hasn't won and nothing what they're on like a seven game losing streak. And um you know, it's just they're they're taking care of business right now. And now, as I speak, it's up to a twenty point lead. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what yeah. happens with this team as they keep going. And like, I'm just excited about Patrick Williams. You know, I'm I'm happy with him. And a lot, I know a lot. I know there's Bulls fans that are still on his side, and there's a lot that aren't uh, and want to already give up on him. But like, I I I keep saying, I, Pat, I believe in Pat, and then when he's going to be. 
Uh, really good plan. I wouldn't be so obnoxious online. <laughs> I told you so. We gotta, all that. We gotta start the. We gotta start an episode with a Project Pat song. Uh, yeah. One of <laughs> nah, it, it's good. They're uh, they're whooping up on the Pacers. I, I'm hoping even more so because it's like on a back to back. So I'm hoping that uh, right. it's a sign of things to come, and they're not just uh, saving the letdown for uh, when I watch them Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, that's got that's got Hollywood script written all over it. But um, no, uh, thank you again to Jackson Frank for uh, uh, stopping by and uh, discussing the Bulls with us. As always, you can catch our past shows on the Barroom Network, on Spotify, on Apple, on Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will catch you next time, Bulls man. So for Salim Suwala, I'm Edward Shuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will see you later.